Welcome to Wild Hearts Club, a podcast encouraging vulnerability, conscious communication and aligned action. I ended up feeling a lot of ecstasy, made a lot of money. I paid off my $20,000 in student loans with uh, <laughs> drug money. I did a lot of really stupid things. Um, and by the grace of God, by the grace of a power greater than me, I was never caught. Hi, I'm Nikki J, and thanks for listening. The voice you just heard was Terry Ann Carty. Terry is a yoga teacher based out of Toronto, and she's also a photographer. And in today's episode, Terry kindly digs deep with me. We talk about the 12 years where she battled alcoholism and how she overcame that that challenge. We talk about a time in her life where she was caught up in the rave scene in Toronto, um, an experience she had as a drug mule, I guess you could say. She actually has an incredible sense of humor about her stories. I think this episode is going to resonate with anybody who struggles with addiction in any form, be it drugs, alcohol, sex, food. Um, This conversation that I have with Terry is a great reminder that each and every one of us has the choice to make a change in our life, be it every morning, be it in any given moment. And for that reason, I think this episode is a super important one and it is very, very close to my heart. There's so much more packed into it, so listen in, enjoy the ride, and without further ado, let's get to it. Terry, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay, let's begin with, um, would you like to share a little bit about your personal story, where you grew up? Um, I grew up in uh, a place called Brockville, Ontario, which is just east of Kingston, Ontario. And I give that as a, actually it's halfway between Toronto and Montreal. So <laughs> on the 401 en route to Montreal, you'll, you'll usually people stop and say, oh, I, uh, I ran out of gas there or I, uh, I've, I had a flat tire, so I had to stop in Brockville. Um, so I was born and raised there in a with um, my mom and dad and my two brothers um, to an alcoholic father um, and as I guess as as early as I can remember I knew that I wanted to get out of Brockville it was just not a place that um, I felt at home in um, I wanted to be an actor and so that's what I did all throughout my childhood as I uh, was a stage actor and um, continued it on through high school and um, I did some community theater and and I got some really really great reviews and I just knew that I wanted to be a stage actor so I, I auditioned to get into um, Humber College up here in Toronto and um, I got in which was pretty amazing um, and uh, yeah so I came to Toronto in 94 so yeah as soon as I could I got out of my little small town yeah and what did what was that journey like for you moving from a small space into a bigger city and embarking on an acting journey? Well, I thought that I was, you know, I was a pretty big fish in the, the little pond of, of Brockville. And it was a very humbling experience moving to Toronto because I realized that I was a very small fish in a very, very big pond. And um, I did very well in uh, college and I got an opportunity to um, play the lead part in pretty much everything that I auditioned for um, in my three years I was gifted a lot of the a lot of the the best roles that were on offer so I graduated at the top of my class um, and uh, yeah it was uh, it was amazing it was a it was a a really amazing experience but I didn't really do much with it afterwards because the rave scene found me and and uh, that was another journey that we should get into but uh, uh, the journey from Brockville to to, to Toronto was um, it was great I really really embraced it I really loved the energy of being in a big city I loved being able to um, you know get whatever I needed to get like within walking distance it was just it was it was great I really enjoyed it yeah 
And so you've just mentioned getting involved in the <laughs> rave scene. Yeah. So would you like to expand a little sure. bit on that? And yeah. So I mean, my my journey um, into alcoholism actually started a lot later. Um, I didn't think that I had an issue with alcohol um, until all of a sudden I knew I had an, a, a, an addiction to alcohol. And so in 94, when I moved to the city, um, I was born and raised to an, an alcoholic father. Um, and uh, my dad has been uh, dry now for a really, really long time. I call him a, um, a dry alcoholic. He's He never actually went through any sort of 12-step program. So he... Um, it's funny, when you don't go through a 12-step program, you still end up having a lot of the same baggage, a lot of the same stuff that you've always, that's always kind of been there, but um, you, you just you, you just don't drink, and that doesn't make you a healthier person. It just, anyway, so I, um, when I, in my last year of college, I went to a rave with a couple of my schoolmates, and, um, I did ecstasy for the first time and it didn't really do anything and I was like wow this is it this is whatever all the hubbub is about and um, it wasn't until the, I went to my rave the second rave that I went to and I did ecstasy again and I was like oh my god like it really felt like I had come home and it was the first time in my life that I felt completely at home completely alive um, more so than ever being on stage, I just, it was this all-encompassing feeling of ecstasy and like pun fully intended. Like I was on it, I was in it, and I just thought I really, this is all that I want to do. And so I, thank God I was in my third year of college when I, um, when I tried it for the second time because I always said if I had found ecstasy before I had finished college and before I was almost done that I probably would not have finished school because it was that profound it was that gripping it was that intense that um, I wanted to go and I wanted to be at a party every single weekend whenever it was available I really wanted to go so finished school and um, didn't bother doing all the things that were recommended as in, like for to become an actor, like a professional actor in the city, which is get an agent. And so I just went, I just kind of turned my back on my theater, um, on my on my art, on my craft, and fell headfirst into the rave scene. And it gripped me for many years, but in a, in a good way. Like I never felt like I was, I never felt like I was addicted or I was like out of control um, I just really felt like I was home in that environment yeah what um, what were you getting out of that spirit experience when you talk about this feeling of home it was the, the drugs were great um, at the time like back in the late 90s the drugs were still they were fun. They weren't like they, they uh, the experience of taking ecstasy was it was an all body experience for me. It was um, and it the, but it was the music that really um, spoke to me, like the music and the dancing and the camaraderie and the community of people. Um, that's what the experience of it was for me. And then I started dealing drugs and uh, got really good at dealing drugs. And it was funny because I was very unsuspecting. I was this little, you know, thing with, you know, braids and, then, and one of those hats and fat pants and, and platform running shoes. And you never would have expected that I would have been, um, you know, a drug dealer. But I ended up dealing a lot of ecstasy, made a lot of money. I paid off my $20,000 in student loans with uh, <laughs> drug money. I did a lot of really stupid things. Um, and by the grace of God, by the grace of a power greater than me, I was never caught. I, I did some really, really stupid things. And, um, uh, but it was, it was so much fun and I was really good at it. And I, I would not take back any of those experiences, not even one bit. And I still, to this day, 
I love techno music, I love house music, and whenever I hear it, I get a lump in my throat, I get, my hair will stand on end, I, I, can, it, I can just close my eyes and it can take me straight back to the period of time, like from probably 97 to 2005, and then, but like every little rave, raver kid, they all have a shelf life, so the drugs stopped working, and um, I was no longer dealing at the time. So then I was working in the restaurant industry. And then the restaurant industry just would like for this alcoholic, it just added fuel to the fire. So there was just this all the opportunities to drink. And back in like the early 2000s, it was really not out of the norm for people to drink you know a tumbler of wine during their shift or you know uh doing shots with your with your guests or you know and it was just it became so readily available and like all of the managers that i was working with they were all drinking so it just became it just became really really easy what is um what part of that experience is is a highlight or a really great learning that you had and what is one of the stupidest things that you have done the 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 drugs or whether it be drugs or just the during stupidest that thing the stupidest things that I could that I ever did um, was I had 500 600 E's little tabs in a bag I put them into my underpants and drove across the border and to do a drug deal in Detroit, Michigan, in the back of a police station's, um, it, I think there was that was in the back of a, a parking lot, and there was a police station right next door, and I went across the United States border with a bunch of E in my pants, in my underpants. Like, how do you feel? I was terrified at the time, but for whatever reason, felt like I was going to be okay, and so. Uh, that was the stupidest thing. And then there was the other time, like I dealt, I dealt with a lot of guys that were coming up from the states, and and because they they really liked me, they trusted me, and and um, then there was a one time where it just got really dark and really scary, where there was people that I didn't know, and there was piles of drugs everywhere and piles of money, and I was like, what the like how did I get here how did this happen and it scared me straight to to the point where I was like nope I don't want to do this ever again um it was just it was too intense and it wasn't worth the money and it wasn't worth the stress that I was under and so I kind of started to wean myself out of um that and again it was like some power greater than myself was just kind of my light just kind of guiding me and guarding me from anything that was really negative because nothing really negative ever happened to me at that point like it wasn't until the alcohol the alcohol was what really brought me to my knees and and uh it was a period of about 10 years 12 years of drinking that I knew I had a problem and I knew I couldn't quit and um I kept saying tomorrow's a new day, I'll quit tomorrow, I won't drink tomorrow. And sure enough, by noon, I'd be, you know, two or three glasses of Chardonnay in. And then it just, it got really, really dark at that point. It got really dark. So what did that um, experience look like for you? I, I, having worked in hospitality here in Toronto, Mm -hmm. it's a really... It's a very different beast compared yeah. to working in other countries in really? hospitality. Really? Is it? Absolutely. Oh, really? It's, it's darker. Yeah. It's shadier. Uh-huh. Um, and I can certainly see the prevalence yeah. of an alcohol-fueled culture. Oh, absolutely. In a very toxic kind yeah. of way. Not just having a glass of wine after service, but yes, during drinking service. during your shift. Yeah. So um, what... What did that slope look like for you where it sort of was maybe innocent before it slipped into something that started to take hold of you? That's a really good question because it it started, I think I, I really started to feel the slope when I got, when I started getting into more elevated jobs. So I started, um, in pubs like and then all of a sudden I wanted to use the the restaurant industry became my career 
um, because it felt like I was putting on a, a show. So it was like very similar to acting. I just got to go in, I got to, you know, put on the show for people. And um, it, anyway, so I went from like, you know, working on Queen Street, King Street kind of thing to all of a sudden I was working in really high-end restaurants. And like when you work up in really high-end restaurants, everything, there's a whole other, there's a, just a seismic shift on um, uh, how you're treated. You know, it's not just about slinging, slinging food anymore. And all of a sudden it's like, this is a career and this meant business. But with that also came more training. And with that also came wine training and so then it was like oh my god there's I remember the one restaurant that I worked at where my job was to taste not a big swig but a taste of wine out of every single bottle that I served and I was like I'm allowed to do this you know like I had to take the bottle away from the table open the bottle smell the bottle taste the bottle make sure the bottle was sound before I took it back to the table and so all of a sudden with the the wine training that I was getting I just felt like I was drinking every single day and then it was like my wine snobbery started coming out so I was buying different bottles of wine I wanted to taste more wine at home and I wanted to you know uh, really elevate my craft and and, and it just started to get to the point where then I couldn't control what I was I couldn't control how much I was drinking I was drinking way too much I started to black out it was uh, it was a really really scary slope and it was a it was a slide and I noticed that there was a couple other people that were kind of in the same sort of um, that was in the same kind of uh, what's the word um, they were kind of at the same experience that I was, but there was a lot of people that could control themselves. And I started to realize pretty early on when I, I couldn't control myself and I was blacking out, I started blacking out all the time. It was, it got really, really dark. Did you find that, um, you've just said, Oh yeah, I wanted to perfect my craft and Mm -hmm. I wanted to learn more. Mm -hmm. How much of that was you maybe using that as justification to cover up absolutely a problem? Yeah, yeah. So we we I I remember I worked at this uh, one of the top restaurants in the city and um, they offered a wine course, and the wine course started at nine o'clock in the morning and. I was usually, because I drank every single day, um, I was usually hungover, but like hangovers didn't really start to affect me anymore. Like hangovers were just a part of my normal. It was just a part of my, I didn't know what it felt to be not hungover. Um, So at nine o'clock in the morning, when you're sitting in front of a flight of like six or seven different wines, um, it was like, oh my God, this is the this is awesome. I get to drink first thing in the morning. And then I noticed that other people were spitting, you know, they were, they were, they were nosing the wine, they were smelling, they were tasting it, but then they were spitting it out. And I was drinking all of it. And so by the like 11 o'clock in the morning, I would be, I would be drunk. And like, I noticed that then I couldn't stop. Once the taste was in my mouth, I just I couldn't stop and then I would go to a restaurant to have lunch quote-unquote and then lunch would consist of you know whatever I ate which I didn't really have much of an appetite I would just have a couple more glasses of wine so then I was going into work and I was already three sheets to the wind going into work and then then when I I knew I couldn't stop at work and so I would pour somebody's bottle of wine and I would leave two fingers in the bottom of each bottle and then so I would be able to take the end of the bottle without the guests knowing that there was still wine left over in the bottle take it to the back pour it into a coffee cup and then I was drinking two to three fingers of wine out of every single bottle and sometimes I sold like you know seven eight ten twelve bottles of wine a night and so I was getting really drunk at work thinking that I was hiding it somehow not getting fired from the restaurants that I worked at because these were really high-end um stressful you know uh restaurants so but again as you said it's very that culture 
everybody's kind of doing it. So, you know, I was able to slide under the radar. And then one time I was not able to slide under the radar and I was fired from one job um, because a, f uh, a colleague of mine, we were working in a, in a, in a private dining setting and she came up with this very clever idea to take a bottle of Prosecco, empty out a bottle of San Pellegrino, which is San Pellegrino water, and then add in the bottle of Prosecco and keep the San Pellegrino bottle in the fridge. And then we would drink out of the San Pellegrino bottle, thinking that we were fooling somebody. And the general manager of the restaurant um, found the bottle called us back and fired both of us. This woman had worked for the same company for like almost 10 years and fired both of us on the spot. And I was so humiliated and so ashamed. And I could not believe that it had happened. It was probably the best job that I had ever had. And um, I still dream about that job. I still dream, it still filters into my dreams because I still sometimes still have uh, work-related restaurant dreams and 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 alcohol dreams that I'm still drinking and anyway so yeah it was uh that was really awful but all the other restaurants I was able to for some reason be able to drink like a fish and uh I never got fired from any of the other places would you say you were like high functioning in that sense I was high functioning and then until I and I guess until I wasn't like I was high functioning when I had to be and then um but when I was in at home I was I was a blackout drunk all the time so I would drink to the point of just blacking out and falling asleep and I was waking up in like very random very scary places and um I you know my ex-boyfriend he picked me up you know face down in a pile of leaves thinking that I was dead and you know my purse was strewn about all over Young Street and you know I you know woke up on somebody's set of stairs once and I had no idea how I'd gotten there and I you know it was it was really embarrassing like peeing my pants and you know it was just it was just a really 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 dark time and I and I felt desperate I really wanted to stop and I kept getting angry why why couldn't I stop and you know yelling at God for like how come you know with all with you know all of the begging that I was doing to get sober like how could I not how could I not get sober and and you know how could you forsake me you know shaking my hand and my fist up at God for not helping me and and um I just guess I was praying wrong <laughs> so and it was uh and it, it, it took some time, but once I finally was ready, I was definitely ready. I was definitely ready. What was your rock bottom that really shook you into, I, I have to do something about this? My um, mom had written me a couple of letters over, the, over a couple of years at different periods of time where she really was saying, you know, how um, scared she was and how um, she was really worried about me. And, you know... I, I love my mother very much and nobody likes to get letters like that and I remember the first letter she wrote me I was like ah whatever and I just stuffed the letter and put it away and, and didn't really think about it all that much but then there was a period in the last year of my drinking where I was my body was starting to shut down with it and um, I was not able to hold it at all it couldn't hold it together and I was at my mom's and I had been at a family function and for an afternoon and went to bed early uh, because I'd been drinking all day long and when I got up to go to the bathroom in, in like at two o'clock in the morning I was sleeping on a pull-out couch and uh, was one of those like metal framed pull-out couches that you um, out of a couch and um, when I came back to come back to bed after using the bathroom I fell into the bed frame and busted my nose open and at two o'clock in the morning I, I bounced up and I turned on the light and there was blood gushing everywhere and uh, was devastated and could not believe that that had happened um, and could have busted out my teeth I could have I could have really hurt myself but again that power greater than me was just kind of always there um, just 
ever so, you know, caring for me. Like, yes, I, 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 I broke my nose, but I, I could have been a whole lot worse, right? And so a week after that had happened, I was at a club in Toronto and um, same kind of thing. I just blacked out and split my, my lip open and woke up, came to with 20 or 30 people standing on top of me going, was she alive? What's, what happened? Blah, blah, blah. And so the next day I remember waking up and I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, what the fuck? Like my face. I did not look like myself at all and I had been seeing this slow kind of decline over the years where I just the alcohol just started to take hold in my body I was puffy I was bloated I my skin was discolored my eyes were red I just looked like shit all the time but on top of it now I was actually really physically hurting myself um, so it was that Christmas that I had another you know embarrassing moment with my family my mother sent me another letter and I was just done I was just done I couldn't do it anymore and I woke up on January 2nd uh, 2012 and took myself to a place called Women's Own here in Toronto and it's um it's a uh, <laughs> I called it a kind of an orphanage slash um an orphanage slash uh, insane asylum is what it looked like to me when I first walked into it spent about an hour there um, and then called my ex at the time and I said come get me I'm not ready to be here the next day I um, went into um, a place called Glendale House House which is in Toronto and it was a very scary spot it was um, um, a little place just outside of St. Joseph's Hospital where you know it doesn't cost anything um, but with that, you get a lot of the riffraff in Toronto. So I was standing toe-to-toe -to -toe and shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder with crackheads, with um, people that had just gotten out of jail, people that um, were homeless. Um, it was a really, really scary spot, but I was so ready. So that was, I think, January the 3rd, 2012. Um, I haven't had a relapse since. I haven't had, um, I, I quit smoking cigarettes and drinking alcohol in the same day. They both had to go together. There was just no way around it. Um, and um, I haven't looked back since. Let's talk about that recovery process a yeah. little bit. Um, what have you discovered was maybe the root of the addiction to the alcohol what were you covering or soothing or searching for well the, it was definitely like a physical a, a physical um like i couldn't i couldn't say no so there's definitely that the the physical allergy to the alcohol like the the desire um for me though the most of it is a it's a disease of the mind it was like a a constant conversation that I was having with myself every single day it was like uh, I'm not going to drink I'm not going to drink I'm not going to drink and it was like it was like I never didn't think about it it was just constantly in my mind and so I didn't have a lot of the I, I didn't have a lot of the um like the side effects of, you know, the shakes or the night sweats. I had a lot of night sweats when I was drinking, but I didn't have a lot of that detox that I really was expecting. I thought that I was going to get like this, like crazy detox, um, but I didn't. Um, and, you know, I had been through therapy and, and while I was drinking and, and doing a lot of drugs and like therapy didn't do anything. It wasn't until I did my 12 steps and I really worked the, my, the first time I really worked the 12 steps of AA that um, I started to get to all of the roots and like, you know, the feeling of not being good enough, the feeling of um, not being loved enough, pretty enough, smart enough and all that stuff, like all the stuff that, you know, and I'm still unearthing a whole bunch of that. You know, I'm still, I'm now in the process of doing my 12 steps for a fourth time. And I'm back at step four and I'm back at doing my resentments and back at, you know, and I'm still finding layers. There's still so many different layers to this disease and um, why I drank. And yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> it's so exciting. Um, so yeah, it, uh, it, the just I think the feeling of not being good enough was uh, 
uh, one of the main reasons that I drank and you know it made me feel it made me feel strong and it made me feel powerful it made me feel sexy and it made me feel romantic and you know I wanted to be a sommelier and I wanted all of that stuff and you know I just wanted to do I felt classier with a wine glass in my hand and you know if I was drinking a good Bordeaux or a good Brunello or something and then it's, that's all about that stuff is just crap it just and then it just makes you feel like shit when you've got a box of cheap white wine and you're drinking Jägermeister and, and rum straight out of a bottle. You know that it has nothing to do with romance. And it's just a matter of um, wanting to cover up all the crap that you're feeling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's... It's a sad state. Sad. It is. It's really sad. Yeah. And um, I... I, I get very weepy for um, that girl. I get really weepy for um, the people that I see the, walking the streets today. I get weepy for the friends that I know that are struggling, the yoga teachers that I know that are struggling. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a really fucked up disease. And it doesn't matter if you're addicted to drugs or alcohol or sex or food or whatever it is if you feel like you are being controlled by something you know and you don't have the freedom it's a it's a very sad and it's a very lonely place to be so I'm beyond grateful for my sobriety every single day and and I was just I actually met with my sponsee so now I sponsor and uh, I met with my sponsee and we you know we were just talking about this she dances in burlesque shows and she saw she was at a show on Friday night and she saw a Jägermeister machine behind the bar and she saw that beer taps and she was like wouldn't it just be so easy I said yeah it would be so easy for us just to go in and be incognito and just take that drink but then all of the shit that we have felt over the years of like all the work that it it, that it took to get us to where we are today can you imagine you know and it happens all the time not to say that like one day at a time I stay sober one day at a time she stays sober but I've known lots of people that have relapsed and I am very aware that this is a one day at a time type of thing um, because if you get complacent, it's cunning, baffling, and powerful. It will come back and it will bite you so hard in the ass. And, you know, so you have to stay humble. What keeps you, what motivates you to stay sober? And what rituals in your life are you employing to make sure that you're staying where you need to be or maintaining mm-hmm. or creating that sense of balance as often as possible? Well, when I first got sober, what's recommended when you first enter into the program of AA is to do what they call 90 and 90, so 90 meet- meetings in 90 days. And so I didn't have the uh, financial support at the time to go and put myself into a 30-day detox program. So when I did those, I did three days at that uh, Glendale house that I was mentioning and got out and went straight back into working at the restaurant and it was really hard. I white knuckled for a couple of days before I started going and getting into my 90 and 90. So I did 90 meetings in 90 days, whether rain, snow, sleep, whatever, felt like shit, I went. And um, after doing 90 meetings in 90 days, you basically want to punch every single person in the meetings out because if you have to hear them share one more time, you know. so. I decided to take my cell phone to a, um, I gave myself a gift and my gift to myself was going on a yoga retreat. And so I went to Nicaragua, a friend of mine's a yoga teacher and she was throwing retreats all over the world and uh, I went to this yoga retreat and to say that it changed my life would be the biggest understatement because all of a sudden things started to make sense. I had been practicing yoga since 96 because one of my teachers in theater school, she taught us um, the, the 16 different poses in brick room. So I was, I knew how to practice and I'd practice at downward dog and I'd practice, but drugs and alcohol totally trumped everything. And then my yoga practice went away. Um, but it was that week in Nicaragua that it just, a light bulb, it was aha, it was, this is the gift that I've been given. I know this is what my path is going to be. 
And so for, that was in 2012, 20, yeah, 2012. And in 2015, I took myself to my first yoga teacher training in Baja, Mexico at the Yandara Yoga Institute. So first it was definitely AA that, that kept me sober. Then it was going to yoga every single day that kept me sober. With that came meditation. Meditation keeps me sober. Prayer keeps me sober. Prayer keeps me humble. Um, I, I guess at this stage of my life, I am no longer afraid to use the words God. I'm no longer afraid to use the word faith or prayer. Um, I don't think it's anybody else's business but mine, how I, um, you know, and what I believe and how, you know, I've found it kind of really touchy for me for, for a long time when I teach, if I use the word prayer, if I use the word God, because I'm afraid that somebody's going to feel something or, you know, they don't believe the same thing that I believe. So, but um, prayer definitely keeps me, um, it's a daily, yeah, serenity prayers, step three prayers, talking to God, that definitely keeps me sober keeps me on my path yeah and yoga does <laughs> shit ton of yoga <laughs> um i i always find this question really interesting asking people but what what is god to you mm. growing up roman catholic irish roman catholic god was the man upstairs who had the big white staff and the big long beard um but God was very unforgiving when I was growing up. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't understand. I, and, and I kind of renounced my religion. I turned my back on my religion. I think it was grade nine or grade 10 when I was like, the Bible's not true, what? And I was like, this is ridiculous. And like, so I, I literally, I just turned my back on it and decided that I did not, um, didn't believe in the faith anymore didn't believe in that in the Roman Catholic religion and um, now what does God mean to me God is breath God is prana God is the tree here God is everywhere it's uh, and I, I feel a presence of spiritual presence with me pretty much all the time and I and I've known that that presence has always been with me caring for me watching out for me for all intents and purposes I should be dead I really should with all the shit that I've pulled and all the places that I've ended up and all that darkness I really the fact that I still have my faculties I have my bones my 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 vehicle is still performing after all the shit that I put it through that is God working its way into into my life so I uh God is God is breath and yeah, God is good. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And I really I uh I'm so grateful for uh the presence and it has nothing to do with religion. It has nothing to do with me going to church. It has to do with a constant communication that I have now. And it has to do with the with Hinduism. It has to do with all of all of the uh, aspects of, of yoga and 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 AA and everything it just has all come together into whatever my my um, communication with God is and it's it's a personal it's a it's very personal it's very um, it's hard to explain um, it's yours yeah 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 I think it's an individual from a spiritual perspective it's a very individual thing for everybody yeah like I don't believe that any like I think that everybody's going to have their own little version yes. right and um, it's love it's pure love you know it's like all the stuff that I have done said did it doesn't matter because it, you know God is good and and I will be free and I'm forgiven you know, and I can forgive myself, and I can, um, I can rewrite my story, right? What advice would you give to your younger self when she was going through those, like, oh. troubled, darker times? Stay the course, girl. 
you got this. Trust, trust that you got this. I knew when I was 16, and I remember saying this to my friend, you know, I know that I'm, I'm destined for greater things than death at 18. I said that at 16. I knew that I was destined for greater things. I knew that I was destined for fame or fortune. No, not to say that that is definitely not the, <clears throat> that's not what I'm looking for now. Fame and fortune. I am, I feel incredibly rich in so many different ways. Like I, the power of manifestation and being able to manifest the life that I have, that I have now is all the wealth like I have that that spiritual guidance knowing that I'm always going to be provided for um, and you know there was that period of 10 to 12 years where it was just a constant battle with the bottle that I would say to her just trust it's okay you're going to get there you're going to see you know you're going to be okay. I think trusting is one of the hardest things for people oh, to do, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, when you've been hurt and you've been, your heart's been hurt and you've been damaged and, and you know, um, and all the crap that you go through as a, as a young girl or like I would never in a million years want to ever go back to that period of time, you know, uh, doing the step work, you know, the, the period of age 10 to age <laughs> well the age between 10 and 15 16 they were some of the darkest times of my life and then the the and then fast forward then I, you catapult yourself into like between the ages of 27 and 33 that was that was really bad so but I mean I wouldn't I wouldn't want to go back to like being a teenager for all that for, oh my god could you imagine <laughs> especially these days no yeah i can't no i can't imagine social media and oh, everyone yeah. is just up in your has face this tool in their pocket that yeah. can be used as a weapon yeah perpetually yeah it's yeah. kind of terrifying yeah it sure is yeah yeah i love my social media platform now i um i found a real community with of uh, health and wellness and um, the sober peeps, I've got the yoga peeps, I've got the vegan plant-based peeps. Um, and within those three kind of platforms on Instagram, I've, I'd, I'm really grateful I don't have, I've never had that bullying or mm. anything. Like I've never been, I've never had that experience, mm. but I'm sure that it's out there and it's really dark and really scary, especially for young kids these days. Definitely. Yeah. Let's sure. give it to that and talk about, um, <clears throat> uh, you s said race or just before about <clears throat> manifesting and, <clears throat> um, cultivating a mindset that <clears throat> allows you to feel rich and present and humble. <clears throat> what, has that allowed you to achieve? After a couple of years having sobriety under my belt, like the first the first two years, it was just about staying sober one day at a time. And uh, as I mentioned, just I nosedived into a yoga practice. I started practicing at Kula. As soon as I got back from that Nicaragua trip, I went straight to Kula and um, started practicing every single day, sometimes twice a day. Um, and with the yoga practice came meditation and meditation then there was prayer and then the the cultivating the mindset that i'm going to be provided for and then the journaling and like i'd been kind of journaling throughout um my entire life and then that kind of goes everything kind of goes away when you're when you're like really struggling with addiction but you pick that up again and i remember writing things down of what i wanted to call into my life and the type of relationships that I wanted to have um, in my life and it took me a long time to get there because the, I was in a, a dead-end relationship for um, for 10 years and uh, this uh, man saw me at my darkest time and um, I still have a lot of kind of guilt around um, leaving him, but at the same time, it was the, the best thing that I could have done. I knew that that relationship had been, um, 
had been dead for at least four years and it took me about four years to break up with him and come to terms with it I remember my first sponsor being she's British and she was like what the fuck are you doing just shit it off the pot like what the fuck like she used to get so pissed off at me like why I've been listening to you rattle on about him for a long time like just get it done and I was like all right all right all right and um finally I was able to do it but my best friend actually uh, said you know you should write a letter to the person that you want to have in your life you write just write it out to my love and so I did I wrote to my love and basically said everything that I wanted it to like what what he was going to be and haven't I manifested that exact thing it was like he just left right off the page it was so fucked up how long after you wrote that did you two months two months I was in June 2016 and we started really chatting in August 2016 and it was like a really tumultuous time for him. It was a tumultuous time for me. I was getting out of that relationship. He was married at the time. And, um, you know, it like him and I meeting, it was like the universe said, I know you're probably not ready for this, um, but we're going to give it to you anyway. And like you asked for it. So, you know, you, and they say, you know, be careful what you ask for. You know, you just might get it. And so if you start manifesting things and you start asking the universe for things and you start receiving, you then have to be like, okay, let's roll. You and you know? have to show up for you it You've got to show up for it. And <laughs> like, you know, I decided that I was going to take myself on a six month sabbatical and I did that and went and did a, a trip, like a, a round trip around the world. I spent a month in Mexico doing a teacher training and then I did a month in India, I did a month in Bali, I did a month in Thailand, I did six weeks in London, England, um, and came back and just knew that things were going to shift, things had to shift and change. And, you know, quit my job running the restaurant, which was a, a huge, huge thing for me, and trusting that the yoga world was going to provide for me. And teaching yoga does not pay, you know, the bills. And but. Here I am, you know, and um, I'm just, I'm really grateful for all the blessings that I have in my life and, you know, and it's just beginning. It's just getting started. I feel. He's not the best. Oh yeah. Like I feel like it's it's just getting started, (laughs) you know, and you know, now I'm teaching 14 classes a week, which is a lot and it's too much. And now it's like, okay, how do we, how do we start to rethink, um, rethink things? Because I, I. I do not want to burn out. I want to really enjoy life and um, continue to manifest and continue to write down exactly what it is that that I that I need. And I think that's my that's my next step is getting very clear about what it is that uh, what I want the next step to be, right? Because I asked to be a yoga teacher. I wanted to be a yoga teacher, and I wanted to teach full time. And I'm doing that. And it's like, okay, now I really want to be a photographer. I want to, and yesterday I shot my first wedding. <laughs> and I have my first food client. And so now I've got thousands of pictures that I need to go through. But, um, you know, like I really want photography to be like a huge part of my life. I just, I would love to be able to live part-time somewhere else where I don't have to deal with Canadian winters. And, and so we're in the process of manifesting that. And, um, so there's a lot of really cool things going to happen on the horizon and it's all because of my sobriety. I'm conv- I know it, you know. That and my higher power. Yeah. That's really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. It really is. What is the biggest limiting belief that you have had to reframe that has really helped send you on the correct trajectory? That um that I'm worth it that I'm worth it and that I can so that has been my mantra for a really long time I so hum I am so I am I am so many things you know and I and I can I can I believe that um, whatever it is that I set myself out that I that I set my mind to that 
that I um, that I'm capable of it. Yeah. Show up for your life. You know, ask for what you want. Be prepared to get it. And um, you know, my ex actually said to me uh, at one point. He said, you know, people don't change. <laughs> and I was like, right there. I was like, wow. I looked at him and I said, are you kidding me? I said, you're looking at change. You know, if I could turn my life around, I am like, everybody has the capability of changing. Yes. You know, you are not your lot in life. No. You know? And um, that's how I knew right then and there that it needed that I needed to change the situation because he was very happy to sit in the in stagnation, mm -hmm. and I could not do that mm -hmm. not even for one more minute. And I remember when I when I set the ball rolling, it was like a snowball that turned into a cannonball that turned into this the biggest snowball I've ever seen in my life that was barreling down a mountain and it was all happening so fast and all of a sudden I said, I wanna leave and then all of a sudden I was I had a place with a friend and then I had to tell him I was moving out and it all happened and I remember sitting at fresh restaurant in front of a plate of pancakes sobbing into my pancakes saying oh my god it's all happening and it's and I have and I because I asked for it and here it is and now I gotta actually do it and holy shit it's all that like it was really really crazy you know all of that shift and change but thank god for it mm. right I love this notion that nothing happens to us it mm. always happens for us yeah and god Even only gives you that yeah. feel shitty oh yeah all that crap right and you gotta just you gotta dig in there and be like all right and like and that doesn't mean that my life is is you know uh, all roses and tulips and and you know like i still have dark days and i still have to work my steps and i still have to go to meetings and i still have to show up and do the work because um you know there's days when i'm tired there's days when i feel like crap you know and those are the days that you you have to show up more right? and all those beautiful tools that you've cultivated over mm -hmm. the last seven years seven, yeah. however yeah. many years mm -hmm give you the strength mm -hmm. I imagine on those harder days yeah. to to show up yeah 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 and trusting that those tools they work yes right and they really trust. they, they oof, trust so huge isn't it yeah. I have my little temp my little altar that I have um inside with all the deities that I you know I pray to I have Durga who's Durga, Ma Durga, who is, uh, you know, the, the, the warrior and um, she's got like all of the, all of, all of her tools. Ooh, there's my, that was my phone. Um, she's got all of her tools. She's got, you know, but she's also, she's a fierce loving warrior. And then I have uh, uh, Kali that I, that, I, that I pray to. And she's the, you know, the fierce goddess that has the blood dripping from her tongue. And she's blue-skinned. And but she, she comes at it from such a, a loving place. But she's, like, the most fierce, right? And then there's Lakshmi, who is the Ma Lakshmi that I, that I, that I chant to and pray to. Because she's the goddess of, of abundance. And I believe so fiercely in my, in my soul that... You know, if you ask for abundance, just it will come to you. It will. You just have to really be open to all of that and just really ask for it. She wants you to ask for it. And so I, I really love Lakshmi and then Ganesha. Get out of the, all those obstacles to get out of the way, right? Um, and who else do I have up there? Oh, and then, the, you know, all the crystals. And it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a, do I have one tool? absolutely not I have like a whole bunch of tools that I that I call on for you know for help mm -hmm. you are um, you're doing some amazing work with your photography mm. your content creation sharing your story yeah. on social yeah um, where can people connect with you and jump um, on board and follow all the amazing things it's, that you're uh, up to I'm on Instagram I have two accounts on my Instagram one is at 
Terri-Ann Cardi. So it's T-E-R-I-A-N-N-C-A-R-T-Y. And I share a lot of um, personal stuff about my sobriety, um, about my good days, bad days, and a ton of food uh, vegan plant-based recipes um, of which you are a whiz <laughs> uh, yes indeed and then um, I also have a website it's the same Terry Ann Cardi um, www.terryancardi.com and then I also have t.a.c uh, photos on and it's, it's a really really small account um, but it's it's some place that I can just put a lot of photography, like the my my photography that's not food, yes. um, on. Um, yeah, and I'm and I'm building my photography business now because I really love taking pictures and I really feel like I'm good at it and it really sets my heart on fire. It really, yeah, it really does. It it uh, it makes me. It just makes my heart sing as much as teaching yoga does. Um, but uh, yeah, shooting pictures and, and being able to sit and, and tinker with them afterwards, it doesn't feel like work at all. It's amazing. What is it that you love about photography? It uh, Being able to make something pop and being able, like yesterday when I was shooting Megan and Chris at their wedding, you know, capturing that moment, you know, the, the moment in time and catching the, the the light in their eyes and that smile and that laugh and you know there's a lot of really crappy pictures that I had to delete but they like those moments that um that are just just perfect and like you just catch that right lighting and it's like wow I created that it's an art you know and I never considered myself even with all the acting and all the Shakespeare and all of the plays and the musicals that I did I never considered myself an artist and now through yoga and through photography i know i'm an artist and i and i can and i can say that with you know and and really feel that and um so yeah i would say that i'm 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 definitely an artist and i'm and i'm honing my craft right now which is it's a lot of fun and taking lots of different lots of different classes and and um yeah and you always have to be a teacher or a student you know, always have to be a student. So you're limitless. Limitless. That's it. Absolutely. Yeah. And my yeah. final question to you, Terry, is what is it to you to have a wild heart? To have a wild heart, to to live in, uh, to live in trust, to live in, um, with complete wild abandon, to trust that um that your life is that your life is unfolding exactly as it should be um and um and that it's okay like to to have a wild heart living out loud every single day living out loud and and uh, speaking your mind and speaking your truth and being really uh vulnerable with people you know that is having a wild heart you know it's really easy just to um to not speak your to speak your truth and to be authentic to who you are it's easy to 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 hide it's it's not easy to be out loud with it it's not easy to show up every single day and if you can show up every single day and inspire somebody inspire yourself to be the best version of yourself and that's what I that's that is that is my life purpose right now right I feel like I stayed asleep for so many years. I was just asleep and I was walking through a fog for a long time. And at, you know, at the age of, you know, 37, I woke up. And now even if I'll be 45 at the end of December and I cannot believe that. But I still feel like a fledgling, like I still feel like such a like a small kid in so many different ways because I'm just starting starting life again, you know. So saying yes to it. Yeah, showing up for it. That's so beautiful. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing of your story. Thank yeah. you for being vulnerable with Thank me. Thank you. Thank you for asking. That really means a lot to me. Yeah. And for sharing. It's beautiful. And I just, I hope, I know, I know it will inspire so many people. I hope so. And it doesn't matter 
how dark Mm -hmm. or how hard things get we always have the choice yes to do it differently absolutely every single day every single day just like the choice I have I have the choice every single day to um, you know drink or not to drink and I choose freedom I choose peace I choose I choose the way of that you know I choose my path and you know and I and I have a prayer that I say you know in the in AA it's God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference but also guide me you know where is it you will have me go who is it you will have me speak to what is it that you will have me say you know and trusting that the words will come that the people will come and just like you're sitting here you know this was this is not this is no 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 mistake right yeah this was meant to be so it's been a gift yes thank you so much thank you thank you thank you thank you so much for listening to my conversation with terry ann carty if you're someone who values the power of storytelling i'd be so grateful if you would rate and review this episode or of course share it with a friend if you think the contents of this conversation will resonate with them if you'd like to connect with me you can follow along on instagram at wildheartsclub.podcast thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week